Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the beauty of truth and the honor and privilege of talking to you and hearing from you, from your word. Thank you for your people. And Lord, we ask that you would lead and guide us along as the good shepherd that you are. Draw us to these still waters of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> my son has a few questions, and of course, any other questions that might be in the room, Lord willing, we'll get to more than just one question today. I'll be on my best behavior and move along. Uh, so, Isaiah, what is the first question you would like to ask? How did it work in that he said he must leave the spirit? Hmm. Very good question. Okay, so the question is about the the presence and the uh, activity of the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament. Um, so I would like to first establish theology. Okay, so think of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And how do we know that the Holy Spirit is God? What would be a go-to place to prove? The, the deity of the Holy Spirit. This is all important. Say again? Acts 5. Acts 5. That's what I was thinking. Chris brought us there before. And Acts 5 is the case of Ananias and Sapphira. And when Peter was confronting their sin, the statement was made in verse 3, but Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? The Holy Spirit. And then when you jump down to the, verse, the next verse, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So you have lied to the Spirit, and in lying to the Spirit, you have lied to God. So the Holy Spirit is God, fully God, truly God, totally God. We believe in one God who exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So everything that is true um, nature-wise of the Father and of the Son is true of the Spirit, including omnipresence, meaning everywhere, and a passage of scripture that helps to bring this home for us would be Psalm 139, verse 7, specifically. You all may not know the address, but you're very familiar with this passage. Yeah, would someone like to read verse 7, Psalm 139, verse 7? Yeah, so it's a rhetorical question. What is the answer? Where shall I go from your spirit? What's the obvious answer? Nowhere. Why? Because God is everywhere. So the Holy Spirit is everywhere. So the Holy Spirit was indeed um, in the Old Testament, and so you can't get away from him. And yet, there is something that we see 
where, for example, uh, my son mentioned this, in, in um, Judges, maybe, was that one of the places you were thinking of? Oh, yeah, yeah, do, do you have the, the place in, uh, with David? Of First Samuel. Ah, yes, after the fall of Saul, we get the anointing of David. Would you like to read it? The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And you even have this language in verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So there's this rushing and departing. So the Holy Spirit is everywhere. And yet there's this, there's this, uh, sorry. There's this activity where he is focusing his presence or his ministry on some and then even removing. And we are familiar with the famous passage from David in Psalm 51. What did he pray? That the Lord would take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Oh, what, what, what part did you say? Right. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And finally, when we get to the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that the the Holy Spirit is the seal of our inheritance, the guarantee uh, until we acquire possession of it. So just looking at this whole thing, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. There are times where he rushes upon believers departs from unbelievers, almost seems to be able to leave believers, and then you get to the New Testament where Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit to you, and there's this final guarantee. In fact, Romans 8 says, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ do not belong to him. So what do we, what do we make of all of this? Does this mean that the Holy Spirit was um, not in the lives of the believer in the same way as in the new as in the new covenant believer. Um, if so, how were they saved? How were they made alive? How were they walking according to holiness? Why is there a difference between Elijah and an Elisha and a Jeremiah and an Ezekiel and a Noah and an Abraham uh, and an Isaac, what is, what is the difference? What changes in the life of, from Jacob to Israel? Uh, what happened to them? Is it just them? Did they just look at the law and say, okay, I'm going to follow that, and they just did a better job than the other nations? Well, we would say no. Obviously, we know that the Holy Spirit is the reason why anyone comes to life. Uh, the Holy Spirit present in creation, the Holy Spirit present in that rushing upon is this work of the ministry, which Saul was no longer going to be king, and so the Spirit's help empowering him to be king was removed and given to another. Um, so that's kind of the, the backdrop there. But there is no distinction when it comes to being born again when it comes to being made alive. And we know this from the teaching of Jesus in John 3. Remember, this is before Jesus sends the Spirit. This is before he ascends into heaven, before the cross, before the resurrection, before Paul, before any of that. There is this discussion with Jesus and a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And it's very interesting what he says. So all of this knowledge and context and expectation of Jesus is coming from the Old Testament. Because there wasn't a New Testament yet. 
John 3, 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that language, born again, means to be born of above, born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born, born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? It almost sounds like this is a new teaching. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Now, why would Jesus expect him to understand these things? Where would he, a teacher of Israel, have been taught these things, the Old Testament. Being born again is not a New Testament concept. It is the way that God always does it. This is why it's always by faith. It's always by faith, Hebrews 11. It's always by faith, Romans 5. And who gives us faith? Faith is a gift. We are dead in our sins and unable to make ourselves alive. You look at the example of Ezekiel, valley of dry bones. Can these bones live? You know, O Lord, prophesy to the bones. And the Lord's spirit power rushes upon these bones and makes them alive. So it's always been the spirit who has made people live and made people alive to God. So what is this new covenant thing? There is something different. There is something unique. There is something more, and it is a bit of a mystery Uh, But what we don't want to do is say that the Old Testament saints were saved apart from the Holy Spirit, dwelling with them, walking with them, sanctifying them. And the New Testament saint has something altogether new that the Old Testament saint never had. Uh, There is a mystery. There is something better. There is something more, obviously. Um, But that's my, my take on it. Any questions? Does that raise any concerns? Yes. Was the old in the Old Testament was the Holy Spirit partially given? So in, in Samuel, that has to do the, the rushing upon with the oil being poured on. That language is used um, throughout the Old Testament for the sake of empowering. And I would say that is more similar to what we pray even to this day. Um, Lord, empower me by your spirit, right? So I'm preaching before I got up here, and as I'm up here, Lord, please fill me with your spirit. What did Jesus teach? Um, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Wait, if he's already my Father, then I already have the spirit. So what is this needing? It is the empowering for the sake of work. And that's exactly what would happen, right? Um, The spirit of God would rush upon Samson, and he would tear apart lions and cut Philistines down, Uh, and we see the same thing. When the Spirit filled the apostles, what came out? They preached with power. And so there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then there's the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And if you do not have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, Romans 8, then the Bible is clear, you do not belong to Christ. You don't have Christ. Uh, And you know, all of this goes into the doctrine of total depravity. We are dead, and only God can make us alive. And that didn't start uh, in the New Testament, right? It started with Adam's sin, and from that point, dead in sin, and only the Spirit of God can make us alive. That's a really good question, though, because, yeah, there's this departure and coming um, that seems to indicate they had some of the Spirit and not all of him. 
But it's a really deep topic, and you know, theologians have sought to try to wrestle with, okay, we know there's a difference, but it can't be too different because God works the way he works, right? It's always been my faith. It's always been by the Spirit. It's always been um, salvation is of the Lord. And I think that passage in John 3 really helps to emphasize this concept of being born again is something that the Lord Jesus thought, Nicodemus, you should know this. And how should he know it? Because he was a studier of the law in the Old Testament. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So if this is something that I had to train myself to do, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, remember that He is a person. And sometimes I might say it, right? No, no, no. Don't. I. I it. It happens. But it's helpful to remember that. Uh, and then, secondly. Um, When the Holy Spirit came upon the believers in the book of Acts, they spoke with tongues. Was that salvation? Now, I would say no, that's not salvation. And why would that not be salvation? Well, one, how many of you spoke with tongues when you were saved? Right now, that there is, there are groups that would say this is the evidence that you've been saved, and it's dangerous, and they would go to places like this. But we have an entire um, section of scripture, four gospels, that show that something happened to these men, and we even have Jesus breathing on disciples, giving them the Holy Spirit before that happened. Uh, but I, I think one of the most impactful realities that something took place is who do you say that I am? Um, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There was a divine revelation that came from God to the disciples uh, apart from Judas, who was obviously the son of perdition. Um, so what do we see in the book of Acts? Well, one, we see the birth of the church. We're, we're, we're seeing things that uh, we really don't see ever happening again. There is the, the, this is the, the introduction of the church. And the same thing happens with the Gentiles, right? This is how they knew, whoa, God is saving Gentiles. But every time Gentiles were saved, think about... Um, the Philippian jailer, no tongues, uh, his family, right? um, Lydia. By the So the evidence of the Spirit coming is not the tongues, the fire, all of that. This is an act of God showing that something is happening that has never happened before. And again, it is the birth of the church. It is the um, proclamation of the gospel, the spiritual gift. Uh, so for them to do that. But the, the Gospels are filled with examples of um, the regeneration that took place in the, in the disciples. Uh, e- I mean, e- even looking after Peter fell, he denied him. You know, Peter, do you love me? You know, do you love me? I, that whole interchange, uh, him entrusting... The, I mean, look at Matthew 28. That's, a, that's another golden example. Verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain. I just thought about another one, the Lord's Supper. That would have been a big... 
to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is language of intimate relationship. Um, There's other places where the Lord tells his disciples that I give you authority. And so, you know, we put these things together. And uh, as I said, the Lord's Supper, right? This is my body. Take, eat, all of you do this. Uh, I even think about after he preached that really difficult message and most of his disciples left him, but the 12 remained, and he said, you know, this is why I chose you, and yet one of you is a devil. Um, and so I, I, I believe there's enough evidence in the Gospels that would show us that they were born again, um, looking to Christ, trusting in Christ, even though they had doubts and all of that, before they were given this supernatural ability to speak in language that they didn't know. Or study. Yes, ma'am. Disciplined follower, right. Yeah. Right, it's a, it's a good example. So as you read the book of Acts, you get the emphasis of apostles to elders. You get miracles, signs, and wonders to um, just the spirit working through the everyday discipline, life, preaching the gospel of the church. I mean, you, you can see the, the shift and from, you know, read the epistles and you see a, a very, very different emphasis than what we see in the beginning of the book of Acts with a lot of signs and wonders uh, because, again, the church was being built. The church was being birthed, as it were. But good question. Yes. Yes, I see what you're saying. Um, and that's a, yeah, that's a, there was a time, Hebrews 1, that God spoke in various ways, right? And, and yet, in fact, the message today is going to be about the Word of God and um, its importance in the life of the believer. Uh, the longest chapter in the Bible is in Psalm, and it's Psalm 119, and it's all about the word. 
And so the, the, the necessity of the law, the necessity of the word, the necessity of the scripture uh, definitely was there in the Old Testament uh, as well as the new. Um, I, I, I just, it was, it's a different covenant, right? So the old covenant was do this or die. And yet that was meant to draw people to God in faith. And the same is true in the New Covenant, that it is not do this or, or, or die, your own works, but it is trust in Christ or die. It's still the focus is look to the Lord um, for help. And so the, uh, if the Spirit of God, sometimes if you don't know the answer to something, you can say, okay, what can't be true, right? Um, total depravity, the utter lostness of man, the inability of man to come to God on his own is from the beginning. The only way that anyone is going to come to God, Jesus says, is if the Father draws them, if the Spirit makes them alive, Ephesians 2. And so uh, that's always been the case. And when we're talking about the Spirit of God uh, indwelling someone, we don't want to think so much about like location because God's Spirit is everywhere. It's not like the little bit of the Spirit is here and a little bit of the Spirit is there, but it's the relationship that He's, he's dwelling with you, walking with you, keeping you, convicting you, showing, revealing, um, helping you. Uh, and, the, and when you look at the lives of the saints, and you read the, 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 the Psalms of David and you look at the, 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 the life of, of these men and women who walked faithfully, it's, a, it's amazing to, to hear how often they do talk of the Spirit of God and um, how active he is. In fact, that would be a good study for anyone who wants to take on a task for this new year is search the Old Testament for the presence and work of the Holy Spirit, and you may be really amazed. So I recently spent some time with Brother reading over this week, and I thought it was kind of interesting how uh, it says that uh, in Luke 2, 20, uh, 25, it says, Now there was a man from Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man's righteous and devout, waiting for the prophecy of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So right there, it says, You're saying, how is it different? Yeah, and just to add to that, what was said of John the Baptist, uh, verse 67 of Luke 1, his father Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied, and it was said of John the Baptist, oh, also in chapter 1, verse 41, uh, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so... Elizabeth, John the Baptist, even in the womb, the father is uh, Zechariah, Simeon. Uh, this is 
I think, a, a, a more evidence that the Holy Spirit has been making people alive, dwelling within his people, and keeping them holy and sanctifying them, and yet it would be totally, I mean, we, we, we would be blind to, say, to read the book of Acts and say, oh yeah, nothing's different. Like, something happened, something opened, something burst forth, and the Spirit of God was, was doing things that he had not done before. And again, as I said, there's a lot of uh, debate about what exactly is unique about the new covenant relationship with the Holy Spirit when Jesus said, I'm going to send you an, an advocate. It's, it's to your benefit that I go and he comes and how all that is played out. And so, you know, like the Trinity, sometimes we just say, okay, I, I believe it's true and all the inner workings of how it all works out. I may not know that, but I know that it is true. Um, so it is absolutely essential that anyone who is a believer has to be made alive by the Holy Spirit's power. And he dwells with his people. And if he did not, we would be in utter darkness and despair. And so the people, uh, like we looked at a few weeks ago, Isaiah 9, they dwelt in a land of deep darkness, but light has shone upon them. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah, and they looked forward in faith, and that faith was not their own doing. Ephesians 2, that faith is a gift. It's a gift of God, and, and the way that that faith works itself out is by the Spirit of God um, in, the, in their life. Yes, ma'am. Right. Yes. You know, the crime of identity theft regarding the Holy Spirit is all over the place. People are taking the name of the Holy Spirit and attributing to him all kinds of error and heresy and crimes. And Jesus himself says, when the Spirit comes, this is what he's going to do. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to testify about me. The Spirit of God is drawing attention to Christ. And I don't think that's a new thing. I think the Spirit of God, I mean, remember, how do we even have the Scripture? You know, holy men were led by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote. So the, the Scripture we have itself, and Scripture testifies of Jesus the Spirit of God has always been about pointing attention to the Son of God um, and to the glory of God. And, and so you're, you're absolutely right. And it's extremely important uh, that we draw that line in the sand and say the Spirit of God does this and not that. He looks like this and not that. Uh, and, of course, everyone here understands what tongues are and what tongues are not. And, you know, none of us are saying that the evidence of salvation is speaking some gobbledygook, mumbling, jumbling. But there are a lot of people who do think that way in this world, sadly. Um, so does that help to clarify things enough? Or have I raised more questions? I do that sometimes. Or the Salutis, yeah. Romans 8, the golden chain.
And why do you think that? The case of the, okay. So that very important. So we were talking about this New Year's Eve, I think. Uh, okay, in the Bible, you're going to have descriptive, explaining what happened, and prescriptive, telling you what to do or what is to happen. When you read narratives, when you read stories, you're going to see descriptions. But that doesn't necessarily mean this is what is going to take place. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, so yes, the lives of the disciples, Jesus called those who he wanted to be with him. He even called Judas, knew that he was a devil, knew that he was going to betray him, went through the whole thing, gave him authority to cast out demons, do miracles, all of that. Um, he was in leadership. We would not say we should take a known devil Put him in leadership because even Jesus did that. We'd say, no, <laughs> that was a very unique situation uh, that describes what happened, but that's not for us to go imitate that, right? Um, but when you get the, it's called the dialect, the teaching, the dialectical, this is teaching us what is. So here's Romans 8, and listen to the stark undeniable two options that are found here. Um, Romans 8, and we start with verse 5, let's say. Well, let's start with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Some people would say, oh yeah, walking according to the flesh means you're a Christian, but you stumble sometimes. But listen to Paul, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. See, there's two groups, right? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone, and I take this to mean anyone, <laughs> who does not have the spirit of Christ, and, and notice the language, spirit of life, spirit of God, spirit of Christ, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a believer. If the Spirit doesn't dwell within you, you're not his. This is the, I mean, you want to talk about the evidence of salvation, here it is. You're indwelt by the Spirit. But that is not the same as being empowered by the Spirit. The infilling of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, a command, right? Uh, this is a continual thing that we are supposed to be doing because, yes, the Spirit of God dwells within us, but he hasn't made us robots. We're not automatons, right? We have to live day by day, and how do we do it? We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need his help 
to do everything that we do. We need to be filled with the Spirit when we are ministering, when we're serving, when we're denying ourselves, when we're resisting temptation, when we're reading the Bible, when we're praying, when we're eating or drinking, whatever we're doing. We need the Spirit of God to help us. And so there needs to be a distinction between being indwelt by the Spirit and being infilled, or filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And in the Old Testament, when you read those words, the Spirit of God rushed upon them. That's the empowering, which happens, and then it goes away, right? This activity, not the Spirit being it. He rushes upon, and then he rushes upon at another time, and then he rushes upon at another time. And when he does, power comes, and that is what we need from the Holy Spirit, power, grace, by his grace. Um, any other questions? Not pretending that I have all of this down, but again, if I'll, I'll speak like R.C. Sproul, it's not if. Since all men are dead in sin, since no one can make themselves alive, since the only way to be made alive is by the Spirit to be born again, and since in the Old Testament we see people believing, made alive, honoring the Lord, we can conclude that the Spirit of God has been working from the beginning of the world until now. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, excellent point. If the Spirit of God is in us, there will be fruit. Yeah, that kind of puts an exclamation mark on it. What more to be said? You, yeah. That's right. You will know them by you will know these false teachers by the fruit that they bear, and likewise, you will know the true disciples by the fruit that we bear. I do not believe that the gifts of the Spirit are dead because the Spirit isn't dead and he gives what he wants to give. I'm, I am not of the mind that the speaking in tongues is a um, spiritual language that only God knows what you're saying. You don't even know what you're saying. Um, I, I think that flies in the face of 
the purpose of all the gifts being given. The purpose of all the gifts being given is for the edification of the body, the building up of the body. And I can't even be built up myself if I don't know what I'm saying and I don't need to build God up. So if the whole point of a language is only God knows what I'm saying and I'm not being helped, no one else is being helped, then it seems to fly in the face of everything that the Spirit of God does. And he's so consistent. You know, he's not like, he's not like me. I mean, you, what you get on A is what you're going to get on Z. So I do believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit to speak in other tongues is the same thing that we see in the book of Acts, this ability to speak in languages that you didn't study, that you didn't grow up with. Uh, however, if I speak Russian, but I don't know Russian, without the gift of interpretation, then I really am not benefiting. And that's why Paul said, pray not just for the gift of tongues, but for the gift to interpret so that you know what you're saying. Because look, you do all these sounds, it's better to have one sound that makes sense than a bunch of sound that makes none. Uh, so, and I'm honest with myself that I've never seen it. But I haven't seen a lot of things. I've never seen a great white shark. That doesn't mean they doesn't exist, right, in person. So, um, right. Sure. So there is a always a testing, right, of every spirit, and one of the most terrifying things that I've, I think I can say honestly that I've ever heard, is. It was from a Paul Washer message, and you know Paul, all his missionary journeys and stuff, and he said he was at this event with this man who spoke Jewish, and uh, he brought him because at this meeting, the people were speaking in tongues, and he said, man, that kind of sounds like they're speaking Jewish. So he brought his friend who speaks fluent Jewish, and he said, those people aren't blessing God, they're cursing God. Now they're just thinking they're doing something wonderful and surely they were speaking of a spirit but not the Holy Spirit and they were blaspheming God without their knowledge. So uh, I, am, I am very much a believer that the Spirit of God is still helping his people, giving them the gifts that are necessary for that body, for the edification uh, I have never been to a church where I've seen that gift, but that doesn't mean it does not exist somewhere. And I hear reports from around the world of certain things being done. And with anything, I test it. Who said it? Are they reliable? What's their theology? What is the point of this um, report being given? Is it to puff up man or is it to glorify God? And I say, praise the Lord. I mean, it doesn't hurt me in any way if... God is giving people these gifts and blessing them. I, I have no advantage to try to tear it down. Uh, if it's really of the Lord, you know, like uh, Gamaliel said, we find ourselves fighting against God to try to resist such things. So I am, uh, I am a believer in continuationism with the caveat, of course. Uh, but I respect my cessationist brothers and sisters in their conclusions because they do make some good points, but I just can't follow them all the way. prophesy yeah right and what is prophecy is is prophecy saying the future or is prophecy saying what thus says the lord right i mean that's that's really the the main thing of prophecy and a false prophet isn't necessarily someone who says something that doesn't come true but there will be false prophets and false teachers is saying what god has not said and 
taking Paul's consistent messages, he wants everybody to talk about Jesus, to pray about Jesus, to tell the world, to make it known. Um, his heart was that Christ would be made known, especially in places where he wasn't known. And so, yes, and, and that doesn't do away with the supernatural um, prophets and prophetesses that we see in Acts who would say, whose belt is this, you know? Hey, they said what was going to happen. That was, that was foretelling, uh, but it's also forth-telling. And again, as I said, uh, anytime you say Jesus is coming back, you are prophesying. Every, every child of God who talks about what is going to come in the future, you are prophesying. Well, amen. Good question, Isaiah. You got us uh, talking about many things. Well, I pray that this was uh, encouraging to focus our minds and hearts on the glorious Spirit of God who so often is put in the background and overlooked, and He's so essential to our salvation and our sanctification and the gospel itself. May we not grieve the Spirit of God. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for clarity. Thank you, Lord, that you save by your Spirit, by your grace through faith. Lord, any that are here that are not born again, that are not made alive by your Spirit, Father, would you please <coughs> grant them repentance and faith? May they believe upon you. And those of us who are indwelt by your spirit, may we not be satisfied to just be indwelt, but may we pray as our Lord commanded us, as, as Paul commanded us to be filled daily, regularly, that we might be empowered for the work of ministry. Because we can't do it without you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.